Let's hear the word of the Lord beginning in chapter 14, verse 6. Then I saw another angel flying directly overhead with an eternal gospel to proclaim to those who dwell on earth, to every nation and tribe and language and people. And he said with a loud voice, Fear God and give him glory, because the hour of his judgment has come. And worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. Another angel, a second, followed, saying, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She who made all nations drink the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality. And another angel, a third, followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and its image and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand, he also will drink the wine of God's wrath, poured full strength into the cup of his anger. And he will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever, and they have no rest, day or night. These worshipers of the beast and its image, and whoever receives the mark of its name. Here is a call for the endurance of the saints, those who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. The word of the Lord. So in the middle of some of that, I want to say, and Merry Christmas. Because we can be focused on certain aspects of the Christian, uh, the Christian, the Christmas message and miss some other important things having to do with the gospel and what Jesus Christ is doing and has done in the world. So the first angel, verses 6 through 7, speaks of the eternal gospel. It's the only place in Scripture where you see the word put together, eternal gospel. But it has to do with him calling the world to fear God, glorify him, and worship him, which is the proper response that God has for what God has done in Jesus Christ. But we also see that this is part of a judgment that the three angels are calling upon the world because they are calling them to repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. So the world is not left without the gospel message, which we'll see for the most part that they will reject. But to see what the proper response looks like Let's go to, and you can keep your place here in Revelation, but if you go to um, the gospel according to Luke, so Matthew, Mark, Luke, chapter 2, and we're going to look uh, one more time at the, the shepherds, but this time what I want us to focus on as we're looking at this, we're going to begin reading in verse 6. I want us to, to see this in the context of what the angel, the first angel here in Revelation, is calling them to to do and i'll remind you fear god glorify him worship him so luke chapter 2 beginning in verse 6 and while they were there the time came for her to give birth this is mary and joseph of course and and she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn and in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, and don't you always want to say behold like Linus does, this is for behold. It made me lose my place. Behold. 
what verse am I? <laughs> Where am I? What's happening? <laughs> What'd you say? Oh, I'm bringing it together. Okay, here we are. Verse 10. Um, and the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest. And just to pause here a second, the highest has reached down to the lowest, to the lowliest, with the shepherds and with us. But they say, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. And when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. Now, they're going to see this thing, which means it is an actual physical happening. And this is very important in the Gospels. It's not some spiritual uh, visions that they have seen. They go to see this thing. In verse 16, And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. Now Luke was sent, it was a doctor, he was sent by, uh, was it Theophilus? He was sent by this wealthy man to go and do a study of everything that had happened fit, I want, and write it down. And, and so a lot of people believe it's quite likely that Mary herself is the one who was telling Luke of this. And so when he um, says Mary treasured all these things up, pondering them in her heart, that could be the Holy Spirit giving him this insight, but it could also be Mary saying you know, I took all this to heart. Imagine being the mother. So she pondered all these things in her heart. And the shepherds returned. And what were they doing? Glorifying and praising. And what is praise but worship? And this is what the angel said you are to do. You are to fear God. But we talked last week where the angel said, fear not. But they were saying, the angel was saying, don't fear all this heavenly angel, the army of angels. Because you fear God. So we talked a bit about what's it mean to fear God and to be afraid and these different types of things. But what they did when they returned was what the first angel pronouncing the eternal gospel says. Fear God, glorify him and worship him. And they do. When they return, after they've seen, they're glorified and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. And that's to be our response, worshiping God, glorifying God for all that we have heard and also seen in different ways, particularly with the eyes of our hearts. And so this was the first angel's message. Then the second angel has a message in Revelation, again in chapter 14, verse 8. And we read that another angel, a second, followed, saying, Fallen, fallen is Babylon. The great Babylon the Great, she who made all nations drink the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality. Now, in Scripture, um, in, in any of the, mid, the ancient Near East writings, whether particularly in the Hebrew, um, 
whenever they wanted to put emphasis on a word, they'd repeat it. So fallen, fallen. This is just fallen. It, that's the emphasis that we want to have on this, this word that's repeated twice. And it's called a prophetic future. If you want to know such things, it's, it's a present tense. It's a past tense. It says fallen, but it's predicting something that's going to happen. And we'll say that like uh, perhaps you're watching a football or basketball game, some sporting event, and so many points have scored. Some event has happened. They've scored too many points that it seems it's, it's impossible for the other team to come back. Uh, we have won. Well, you know, it ain't over till it's over, would say Yogi Baron was that whoever? Well, I don't know. Somebody said that. But with God, he's saying, oh, it's over. And it's going to happen. That because of the events that have occurred with Jesus Christ on the cross and his ascension to the right hand of God the Father, Babylon has fallen. It's assured. And what is Babylon? So Babylon, oh, but it's also important to see what's happened. What's he said about Babylon? What have they done? It has intoxicated the nations. So the nations have been deceived and intoxicated with her wine. So this is what has happened with Babylon. This great country, this great city, Babylon, has done this thing. Now we know in the Old Testament, Babylon was the place where Israel was in captive for some 70 years. And they were taken there by King Nebuchadnezzar. And the judgment of actual Babylon was prophesied by Isaiah. I'm just going to read it, but it's Isaiah 21, verse 9. We read, And behold, here come the riders, horsemen in pairs. And he answered, Fallen, fallen is Babylon. Then all their carved images of her gods he has shattered to the ground. So this is Isaiah prophesying the future of Babylon being uh, destroyed. And John is taking this in the book of Revelation and repeating it, Fallen, fallen is Babylon. And so we're supposed to look back and we're supposed to see this, that God did indeed judge and defeat Babylon. But now we have to think, well, what's Babylon mean today? So the first today would be, what did the original reading audience of the book of Revelation, how would they have seen Babylon? And it's very clear uh, that Babylon of their day was Rome. And so as they're looking at um, this tyrannical power that is um, opposed to God, a demonically inspired state government here and what they're doing, and it's just a tyranny, um, how are we supposed to be released? They're, they're persecuting Christians, they're killing Christians. Uh, Nero comes to power. It, it just gets worse and worse. And what God is saying is, I know what it looks like, but Babylon's fallen. Fallen is Babylon. Now, Rome has fallen, but Babylon continues to reappear. This, the, we don't have at current a global worldwide um, power that, that governs everything, but there is a global worldwide spiritual power at work. And so this is what we have to remember. It's like, that's why so many conspiracy theories kind of are like, that's crazy. Yeah, but I kind of, you know, make you scratch your head and wonder, because we as Christians, above, among all people, should know there are powers behind powers. And so sometimes in the church, um, I had a pastor tell me years ago that, you know, somebody will come to him and say, hey, I have this idea. 
And so, okay. And then somebody else, completely unrelated, will come and they say, hey, I have this idea. And then somebody else, the same thing. And he's like, okay. Sometimes you can see God at work in the midst of his people as these different people in different places God is working with and it, it, bringing them to similar conclusions. Well, Satan works similarly with his people so that you can have people all over the world who are opposed to one another, which works to our advantage because they do tend to destroy one another. But they can be manipulated by the same power behind these powers without any individual person actually being there. And so, you know, don't be unaware of the fact that there may be grand behind, there are grand behind the scene plans of which the participants may be unaware. But we are not unaware because we are not unaware of Satan's schemes. But what the scripture is telling us is whatever is going on and whatever it might look like from, I mean, imagine living during Hitler's Germany or the Gulag or China or uh, in now in different countries around the world where they persecute Christians greatly, whether it be um, China or places in the Middle East, um, to hear this message preached fallen, fallen, Babylon is fallen. But one of the things that we see here also in the book of Revelation is fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. So we might say, oh, okay, he's, he's added this word to it because Babylon now we know is even greater. However, if we go to the book of Daniel and lots of times, if you've, if you've been following along in Revelation, Lots of times we're going back to Daniel. So if you figured out how to find Daniel, go ahead and get there again. So we're in Daniel chapter 4. And what we're going to see, we're going to, it's going to be 4 beginning in verse 27. But the, um, an ungodly world power, Babylon, led by the ungodly king Nebuchadnezzar, uh, what you're going to see here is his expression of, of self-glorification that's going to eventually lead to his judgment. And we're going to see the phrase, the great Babylon, but in the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament that would have been before the time of the writing of the New Testament. Um, the, it's Babylon the great. The Greek matches exactly the Greek in in Revelation 14. So it's obviously going back and wanting us to say, hey, look at this. So <clears throat> Daniel chapter 4, verse 27. Um, there's Daniel. He's, Daniel's interpreting King's second dream, and he's being told this. Therefore, O king, King Nebuchadnezzar, the evil king, let me counsel that you know that, let me counsel, be acceptable, excuse me, let's start over again. Therefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed that there may perhaps be a lengthening of your prosperity. Now all this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of 12 months, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. And the king answered and said, Is this not great Babylon? which I have built by my might, mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty. So you see what he's doing? 
Is this not Babylon the Great that I have built by my might and for my majesty? Who is God? And, and what we're seeing in Revelation is this is the spirit of the age. This is the spirit of Antichrist. This is the spirit of Satan and the demonic powers as they inspire people who desire what? Power above all things. As they gradually somehow over time get convinced in their mind that they're smarter than, that they're better than, that they need to control things, and then somehow they end up convincing entire masses of people that, yes and amen, you are to us a God. But what happens? While the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven. Now, you might think, again, these are the angels. These are the, this is speaking judgment to the world, calling people to obey Christ and follow him. But then judgment falls upon Nebuchadnezzar. O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you, and you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and you shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and seven periods of time shall pass over you until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom whom he will. Immediately the word was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from among men and ate grass like an ox, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven, till his hair grew as long as eagle's feathers, and his nails were like bird's claws. So as we hear this second angel in Revelation chapter 14, verse 8, pronouncing that this Babylon is fallen. What the writer wants us to do is to say, remember Babylon. Remember King Nebuchadnezzar. He, too, exalted himself above all things, above the world. Look at my kingdom that I have built. Look at what I have. And God says, as we see word in the New Testament, you know, judgment has fallen on you. You know, today you, know, you will be judged. And so for believers who are being persecuted, for believers who are um, in great difficulties, we've been told over and over again, as, as Sean prayed in his prayer today, to even be thankful for our trials because for the church, they're there for purpose and reason. But these powers behind the powers that want the church destroyed, that power has fallen, fallen. And the church is the church victorious and one day will rise above all of these things but the nations were made to drink of the wine of her passion and so once Babylon provides for everything it provides everything for everybody. It provides everything for you, and it has control over you, and it can cut you off. Then the people who worship the beast will report you and turn you in because you've not taken the mark. Because in statism, that's what the government demands, absolute obedience and conformity. Or it won't provide anything for anyone, so there's peace and peace, and there's no peace. So the nations are deceived, we see that they made the nations drink the wine of her passion, of her sexual immorality, which we've seen from the last angel. It means idolatry. It means worshiping things other than God. And so that's what the power behind these powers are trying to get us to do, worship 
them rather than worship the one true God to keep people from looking and seeking for God. So the nations are deceived, and yet in the beginning of chapter 14, which we didn't read today, the 144,000, the symbolic number of the complete church, because what they see is, I hear 144,000, but then he looks, John looks, and he sees an innumerable number of people from every tongue, tribe, and nation. So the nations are judged. But from within that nation, from over time, comes such an innumerable number, as promised to the prophet Ab- to Father Abraham, that there will be children beyond number. So we see the church rising and growing in the midst of all this. So we see the nations judged, but we also see the nations coming to worship. And that's what we see with the Magi. So if you look again, Matthew chapter 2. So the shepherds are in Luke chapter 2, but you'll find the Magi in Matthew chapter 2. So let's look again at this, recognizing as we look at this again that it's Gentiles. They're non-Jewish people. They've hearkened to the call to worship. We're going to see these gifts. If we said gold is for a king, frankincense is the sense, the uh, the 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 um what they would the incense that they would offer in the holy of holies it's what Nadab and Abihu were supposed to do and they offered something else and were killed but this is what would fill the holy of holies um, so that they you actually couldn't see well in there but it was covered with the holiness of God and so it represented the high priest and then the myrrh um, speaks of death so that Christ is our King our high priest and our sacrifice our death. So let's read again Matthew 2, 7 through 18. So Herod summons the wise men secretly and ascertains from them what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. So he's lying. After listening to the king, hey, kids in the back, y'all listen to this. Listen, this is, this, y'all, y'all understand this stuff right here. Look at it. Listen, 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 listen. Turn around. There you go. This is the wise man, the magi, the kings, and all this. After, because this, this is what Christmas is about, not all the other trappings and everything. Make sure you get, get the point with this. It's amazing what little children can understand, too. So they listened to the king who said, come back and I can worship him. He's lying about that. And after listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother. And they fell down and worshipped him, and they opened their treasures. They offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother, and flee to Egypt. Okay, so an angel comes and says, You guys are going to have to run away. You've got to leave Bethlehem, and you're going to have to go to Egypt. Now Egypt is outside of Israel. Egypt is a place that's like, Why do we go to Egypt? And we're having to escape because we're having to escape what's happening within your own region as Satan through this King Herod is going to try to destroy and devour the Christ child. Rise, take the child and his mother, and flee to Egypt, and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to church for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt, and remained there until the death of Herod. 
This was to fill, fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, Out of Egypt I have called my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the Magi, by these wise men, Herod saw that he had been tricked. He became furious. And he sent and he killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in that region who were two years old and under. It's a part of the Christmas story that we don't typically do in our little plays and skits and things. It's terrible. But when the, and they, he did it from the time that the wise men had said it probably occurred. So we know that the wise men probably, they came later. And then was fulfilled, was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping in loud lamentation. Rachel weeping for her children, but she refused to be comforted because they were no more. And you can see that. You can imagine what it would be like for a mother. So at the birth of Christ, the angels are proclaiming peace on earth. So we know from what happens here that the peace that the angels are proclaiming is more than mere governmental peace in the world, but there is a peace that's coming, and there is an inner peace that will be there, but it doesn't mean believers won't weep. It doesn't mean that believers won't go through great suffering and trials, but it means that God is saying, I am with you. I am here. I've got this. We may go through something terrible, but we will come out the other side bigger and brighter and stronger because I am more powerful and Babylon has fallen. I'm going to read this little excerpt from a, a book called God Rest Ye Mary by Doug Wilson. I don't agree with everything by Doug Wilson, but he does write some good stuff. And this is one of them. And he says this, We must never forget that an essential part of the Christmas story is a stark reminder of the reality of sin. We've already noted that our culture's instinct of marking this holiday by giving gifts, giving lots of stuff, is an instinct that is sound at the base. This is a celebration of incarnation, of the material embodiment of the greatest gift ever given. And so, of course, we mark and celebrate this with lots of material stuff. But all our cultural instincts are not quite so helpful. One of the less helpful traditions is the relegation of this entire story to, into a vat of sentimental goo. Feel-good emotions are the order of the day, and those feel-good emotions are detached from any sense of deliverance from sin. We forget that Rachel weeping for her slaughtered children is very much a part of the Christmas story as much a part of it as the shepherds and the angels and the star and the wise men. This is a story of the infants who were butchered by a tyrannical king and the one infant who was spared in order to grow up and die for the sins of his people. This story has death woven through it. The backdrop is death and sin and tyranny. We celebrate at this time not because we live in a sentimentalist paradise where there has never been any evil, but only gently falling snow and the sound of sleigh bells in the distance. 
we celebrate the birth of the one who overthrew the principalities and powers. This is not a holiday that commemorates the essential sweetness and goodness of man. It is a holiday that commemorates the beginning of the story of how it came about that death finally was killed and how the warrior who did this great thing was spared in his infancy. This is why the continued celebration of Christmas is a standing threat to the secularist who want to remove every vestige of it from the public square. I dare say they do. They understand it better than we do. Merry Christmas really means tyranny is dead. And then we get to the third angel in 9 through 11 of Revelation chapter 14. And again, speaking of this beast that we've seen and uh, another angel, a third, following them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast in its image and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand, he also will drink the wine of God's wrath. Now, they had drunk the wine of Babylon. They had drunk that wine, but now the wine that you will drink on the final judgment. And final judgment and judgment can come at all these different points in history at the death of people, too. So um, at every point in history, this judgment takes place. But there will be a final day of judgment, the return of Christ. But they had drunk the wine of Babylon, and now they will drink the wine of God's wrath. Poured full strength into the cup of his anger, and he will be tormented with fire and sulfur. And that's the old word for sulfur is brimstone, which is uh, Sodom and Gomorrah, as we see this judgment language. And they will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb and the smoke. So this thing about God doesn't put anybody in hell, people put themselves there, God doesn't pour his wrath out on people, God people punish themselves no none of that nonsense okay god is judge god is the the executioner of his righteous wrath and at the end for those who are outside of christ they will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels in the presence of the lamb and the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever and they have no rest day or night this is an eternal the gospel is an eternal gospel the torment is a forever torment. Eternal means there's no beginning to it. The gospel is forever. There will be a beginning to the torment, but there will be no end to the torment for these worshipers of the beast and its image and whoever sees the mark of its name. Now, again, I'm going to get into the mark of the beast again. But just you know, if, it, if it's just something that you get and you get to heaven, you're like, I believe in Jesus, but I got this mark. Uh-oh, you messed up. You got to go to hell. It's like none of that nonsense. Uh, it means you're either marked by Christ or you're marked by Satan. The, the mark of the beast is the worshiping of him, the following of him, the denial of Jesus Christ. It may well manifest itself with some kind of marks. As, as you see, what government wants to do in Rome was to not allow people to buy, sell, or trade. That was happening. And we can see that kind of happening a little bit now with different things, particularly different countries or places. And I would say beware of governments that demand too much power over people. Christians should be able to stand up and say, no, you cannot have this kind of control. And I would, I would be wary of any government that wants to chip you, mark you, things like this. But it doesn't mean that's the mark of the beast. It may well be a characteristic of the beast. But the question is, whom do you serve? And then it ends with this. Here is a call for the endurance of the saints. So this is what this entire section is really about. 
a call to endurance because there's hard stuff going on. And there is real judgment that takes place. So the mission of the church, preach the gospel. You've been told, you've seen, now go proclaim like the shepherds did. The gospel. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of Christ. There's still time to, for people to turn. There's still time for people to hear the gospel message, repent of their sin, turn from this judgment to come, and cling to Christ, entrusting in him alone for their salvation. That's the call of the Christian church. That's what Christmas was about. Jesus born that he might die. So we're called to believe in him. In verse 12, here is the call for the endurance of the saints, those who keep the commandments of God, trusting God with our obedience. You don't obey God to get him to love you. You don't obey God to get him to save you. You trust him with your obedience. And because of their faith, the faith of Jesus Christ. So our faith is what saves us. And so the call is to believe in him, to allow him to take the full wrath of sin on our behalf, to rest in him alone so that nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. And that is what Christmas is about. No guilt in life, no fear in death, from life's first cry to final breath. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand till he returns and calls me home. Here in the power of Christ, I'll stand. So you have to ask yourself, do you stand in the power of Christ? And the song continues, For on that cross as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. For every sin on him was laid. Here in the death of Christ, I live. So endure. Keep the commandments. Trusting him with your obedience. Keeping the faith of Christ. And then this Christmas, let's not just remember that he was born. Let's remember why he was born. That we might be born again and live Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you've given us your word. We thank you for a time of, of, of Christmas where the world in some way, even non-believers, see something happening. So we'd pray that you would help us first not to get called up into the commercial trappings of Christmas, that we uh, will remember um, what we're really talking about is a gospel and what was really happening in the world this time. And when we come to your table, table of death, that brings us life and the living Christ meets with us and tells us to slide our knees beneath his table and enjoy this close fellowship with him, the, what the church receives from the preaching of the gospel and the prayers of the saints and the worshiping together as, as your people. That you give us this this physical thing to see, to taste, to know that there is a physical reality, a spiritual reality that's more real than what we see even now. So we thank you for the, the gift of Jesus Christ, and we thank you for the gift of your word, the sacrament, and pray that you will continue to watch over us and lead us ever closer to you, following from behind closely in your steps. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.